Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome to the uh, inaugural episode of The Broken Light Show. My name is Dave Mantell. Thanks for uh, for jumping in here at the ground floor of the podcast. I think it's going to be something real special. I hope it is anyway. Uh, you'll have to let me know what you think of it. I started this podcast, uh, I was, I was sitting around thinking, um, you know, I have a lot of, uh, I'm an independent musician, independent artist. Uh, I feel like I have, um, some friends that are, that also fall into that category and we have such good conversations with each other and, and share, um, such good insights and, you know, I benefit so much from just being able to talk and, and, you know, share with these guys and girls. And, and I was sitting around thinking, man, you know, this conversation on like independence in creativity, you know, moving away from old models into something new for me, especially in the music industry, but I have friends that are, you know, in, in visual art, you know, with film and um, photography and uh, like more traditional art. I don't know what you like painting and, and drawing and stuff. And, uh, you know, as well as uh, authors and, and bloggers. And it seems like there's this this shift away from these old models that exist this, these old paradigms towards uh, something new, something that's kind of uh, like wild and untamed, like the wild west of art, if you will. And uh, so we have these conversations. I, I tend to bring this up pretty often um, because I just I'm so fascinated by it. And uh, my friends have such good insights. And uh, you know, I I just wanted to share that with. A larger audience I wanted to talk about this kind of stuff with more people get more people on the same page and and you know joining in the conversation and maybe not even on the same page but uh, just being able to have a dialogue about where art is going you know where music the music industry is going where the the film industry is going and and what is it about the things that we're doing that can get people invested how do we create sustainable models for what we're doing. I don't know. I think, I think this will be really cool. So that's what this podcast will be about. Um, I'm hoping that, uh, you'll stick around to, uh, see where it goes with me. Cause I have no idea. I don't know where this is going, but I think it'll be fun. It'll be a fun, uh, experience, a fun journey. I was reading this article, uh, that popped up on my Facebook feed a couple weeks ago. Um, a friend of mine posted it and, uh, it was this girl, I think a girl musician who, uh, wrote this article about these crazy things that she had just discovered, uh, called house shows. House shows, uh, is what she had discovered. And she s- went on to describe in this article how, uh, once she had found out this thing called a house show, which is, uh, you know what it sounds like it's doing a uh, show in your in your house or your apartment somebody's living room maybe a kitchen she had discovered that this was 
a thing and she played her first one and really enjoyed it and so she decided to uh, do a tour that was all house shows and so she had these criteria you know she was contacting uh, the the hosts of the shows and saying something like you know if you can get I don't know whatever the number was like 20 people or 30 people to agree to come to the show I'll come and play um, you know and we're selling tickets for this much money so um, everywhere she went she had kind of a, a guaranteed amount of money that she was making um, which is actually I think the way that uh, to, to sidetrack a bit I think that's the way that David Bazan when he does his house show tours I think that's the way that he does it he has like a like a 30 person minimum with like a you know a five dollar per person ticket or something like that and then he'll show up anywhere um so it's not a bad model i don't think uh but i had never heard of this person that was writing this article this girl and uh so anyways uh to continue with the story she talked about you know she made like uh she made like $20,000 or something on this this tour that she did. It was like a $500 a night average or something like that from ticket sales and merch sales. But the point of the article was she was sharing this, this anecdotal evidence to the point of, and you can do it too. It's just this easy. Just, you know, contact these people and sell this many you know these many tickets at this price and it'll all magically work out for you you'll have $20,000 at the end of your tour and it'll be great and we can all do this together these house shows and it just rubbed me the wrong way I don't know uh, it wasn't anything about her I don't think just the idea of this thing that you know this DIY culture that's kind of close to my heart being uh, monetized and homogenized and I don't think it will be like this article isn't going to change the way that that house shows work or anything but just the idea of someone trying to do that or trying to sell something you know through this DIY culture uh, just rubbed me the wrong way it was weird but it did remind me that this is a model that is catching people's attention people that uh, maybe are not familiar like she had never you know before she she did that one show she never even heard of a house show she'd never been you know as a as a listener or knew anybody that was involved and so it reminded me that this this model is kind of catching people's attention or this this uh culture catching people's attention and you know i, I started to think about why that is The failing of the mainstream art industries. Music is probably the, the biggest and, and brightest example of just a failing model. It's kind of like trying to cling on to anything that it can, you know, gasping for air and kind of flailing around trying a bunch of stuff. But it's basically dead. So musicians, a lot of musicians, you know, are trying... A lot of new things. I think film is headed in the same way. Or at least in something similar, you know, you, you have very few original 
screenplays coming out in Hollywood, it's all franchises and superheroes. And if it can't be, uh, can't be made into a trilogy, at least if not an entire quote unquote cinematic universe, you're probably out of luck, you know, and, and the people that they're getting to be behind the camera of these films and, you know, panning the screenplays are all, it's just, it's like a, like a insider's club. I just saw this movie uh, recently called Coherence. You get uh, this indie picture like this that is made, it was shot in just a couple days, basically shot uh, entirely in this person's house. There's no real like set design or anything fancy. It's just a small group of people. But one of the most compelling films I've seen in a long time. So great. Those are the things, you know, these, these indie films that are springing up no budget, no, you know, special effects or anything like that, but they're way more compelling than, uh, you know, Godzilla or whatever. I don't know why I started talking about that, but, uh, anyway, I think that the, the, what I was saying is the mainstream is taking notice of the DIY culture, specifically in music. But why is that? What are we doing that is so interesting to them? I think it comes down to this this house show thing and the experience of the independent musician or artist. I was watching this documentary called Press Pause Play. Um, which I cannot recommend enough. If you're into independent art at all, you should watch this documentary. Check it out. Uh, I think you can watch it for free on YouTube. Um, just uh, YouTube, press pause, play, all one word. You can watch the, the movie. They also have their own channel on YouTube that you can watch um, sort of the uh, the extended interviews with the people that are in the documentary. It's really cool really uh, good stuff there. A lot of different opinions. Um, but one thing that, that caught my attention was uh, Robin, the artist Robin. Uh, she had this quote, and I'll read it to you. I don't think there's any stress of like trying to find the new format. I think what's going on is really good for music because people are forced to find their own solutions and figure out things for themselves. I was thinking about that format, you know, things that stick out to me, things like, like intimacy and approachability, relatability, honesty. Those are the ways that, that at least in my experience, you engage and grow a fan base. You know, it's not getting on the radio or getting signed to a major label. It's these little things that all kind of add up to the kind of creation and nurturing of a, a fan base, right? 
even if it's small, it'll be, become this loyal thing. I was thinking of um, some examples. Uh, Mark Marin has a podcast, real popular. And it's just him talking, you know, and being real with comedians and, and actors, just having real conversations. Pete Holmes, the same way. Some really great conversations, just, you know, being a real person, having the guests that come on the show also be real people because there's so much pretense, especially in art, you know, we, as artists, we kind of put up these facades to, you know, whatever it is, protect ourselves from, I don't know, anything that could hurt us or, you know, damage our relationship with the art that we create. And so we make these, these barriers but you start to take those down and people people begin to relate with you as a person and, and start to buy into you as a person. And, and those people then, you know, become attached to your art. My friend Andy Offling talks about this too. Uh, he's in a band called Lowercase Noises. Um, he's kind of a proponent of this as well create a, a small loyal fan base that will support everything that you do you know a group of super fans essentially that you've connected with in an intimate way you made yourself available to relatable to and that you've been honest to uh, I was thinking about the uh, the Wizard of Oz recently because there's uh, this there's this weird thing that happens in that movie, you know. You guys know the story. You've seen the movie, obviously. But the wizard can't help Dorothy and her pals until... Spoiler alert. The curtain comes down and he's revealed for what he is. Someone said that recently, and I, I thought that was really interesting. You know, the wizard can't help Dorothy and company until he becomes who he really is. Drops the facade. I don't know if that means anything to you. Maybe it does. Maybe you get it. I'm just rambling now. We've got a great interview coming up. Drew Creel is going to talk about his uh, new project called Mirror. Uh... I'm going to play you a clip from that real quick. And, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for coming to the uh, inaugural first podcast of The Broken Light Show. We'll be right back. From the uh, first single from the self-titled debut record from Muir in Nashville. We've got Drew Creel on the show. Drew, thanks for being here, man. Means a lot. Tell us, um, 
Who is who is Drew Creel? What is Muir? Well, I'm a guitar player. My name is Drew Creel, and I've been in Nashville for about three years, and played in some metal bands for about a year, and uh, basically the projects and bands that I w was in previously just kind of broke up, as many bands do. Um, so I had to get like a full-time job to you know, support myself and start this new life that I had in Nashville. So, um, so basically I work a full-time job, but still pursue the things that I'm passionate about, which is um, my music. So um, that's currently what I've been just like working towards over the last like year pretty much 2014 has been devoted to working on this record called Mirror um, and yeah so that's what I've what I've been devoted to um, for 2014 and this whole journey I've been on is finally coming to an end with the release of this record and definitely feels great to, to have the some material that I'm proud of um, be released. So totally. So tell me a little bit more about that project. Yeah, yeah. the The band, um, yeah, the band is called Mirror, and basically it's a self titled record. So, um, and what I did was just invite some musicians that are well. Some of them are just really good friends, but people that I really just love playing music with and wanted wanted to make music with and I felt that they would be able to interpret the style of music that I was doing um, the, in the best way so those are the people that I invited to play on the record and, and stuff so cool let's um let's back up a little bit you said you moved to Nashville to play with some metal bands and stuff and uh, they didn't work out what's um I guess that sounds really hard, you know, to like uproot your life because you were living in Chicago. That's where we met, and um, you moved to Nashville to to play with these bands. And yeah, for sure. Well, le yeah, leaving the leaving Chicago and the area, especially when I did, um, which that was in uh, 2012, is when I left. Um, it was really hard because a lot of great things were happening. I was involved in some great music, um, a lot of stuff with the Salvation Army. I was really involved with the Salvation Army, and those people were my family. And um, I, I guess what I was doing was just following my heart and what I felt like I needed to do at the time. And I was a guitar teacher for many years, for four or five years, and I had all these great guitar students. And I, you know, I had like I taught about forty lessons a week, but I wasn't really playing shows. Um, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't pursuing the music that that I had created. I was basically just playing a lot of great, great worship songs and um, interpreting them and playing them and leading people in worship, and which I love doing, but. I wasn't creating anything new, um, except for you know my ridiculous Christmas album, which came out around that time. Which is awesome, I think, if people can find that. <laughs> right. I think people enjoyed it, but anyway, 
so what I did is I moved initially I moved to Kansas and played with this band called Skies um, for I think it was like maybe eight or nine months and love those guys just had a great time out there made a lot of great friendships life you know lifelong friendships out there but tours were falling through left and right um, we played a lot of great shows but there's just a lot of waiting around um, a lot of just like working jobs to stay afloat worked at Wendy's worked at like a coffee shop um, did, did all of that but I won't bore you with all the details but eventually moved home and joined another band uh, called As Hell Retreats based out of like the Nashville area and they had a little bit more steam going on and I was able to just kind of jump in the van with them and tour for close to nine months um, just kind of on and off and those are just my some of my closest friends here in Nashville to this day and, and those guys are all doing <clears throat> different different musical projects one of the guitar players uh, my, my buddy Tyler plays with this band called Gideon um, and and they're just doing really well. One of the one of the bigger uh, hardcore bands on the you know the Face Down record label and stuff. So anyway, those are just some great friends of mine. But um, man, it's it's tough. So so basically, over the last few years, just going back and forth between like, how do I make this this music lifestyle work when I have to work a forty hour week to to pay for my bills, you know, and I, I think other musicians that are in the same place as me can kind of understand that. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of been the journey over the last few years since like 2011, I guess. Sure. 2012. So. Um, well, here's another thing, because you were you were playing with all these metal bands. You mentioned your Christmas album, which is great. Which is also metal. It's metal Christmas. And then uh, you sent me the um, the copy of Mirror, and I was listening to that, and I knew that you had been talking about sort of like moving in a post rock direction for a while. And you sent me the record, and I listened to it, and it's like it's so good, but it it's so different than anything I've ever heard you play before. It's, you know, atmosphere but it has some of those elements, you know, like um, just your guitar style, which I thought was really cool, but it seemed like a huge departure from what I know that you play. Do you think that that is really more your voice in music? Does that have something to do with like moving away from metal, moving towards this other like fusion thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what I was doing with the Mirror record is just drawing from all of my influences. Um, I, I love heavy music. I still play in some local, you know, heavy bands around Nashville. But um, yeah, like like I said, I I was just kind of putting everything together that that I had played into this one uh, into this one vision. But um, I, I guess like. My, from my point of view, playing and writing songs like is a really boring thing for me. So <laughs> I guess that's why like being able to create these different guitar sounds and not being restricted to like the song format is really intriguing to me. Um, and and so that's where I found a lot of uh, kinship with other post rock artists like. 
like Jezu and uh, American Football, maybe even Slint, you know, um, mm-hmm. older uh, post-rock groups. I just love that idea that, hey, like, I guess we don't really have to make music in this packaged format. It can be kind of raw. It can be really drawn out and spread out. Like, my favorite band is probably Meshuga, um, which is totally different from the music that I write, but um, they're not, they've never restricted themselves to making this package format of music. It's a really drawn out, almost visceral kind of music. So I, I think that's kind of like the angle that I approach, you know, the songs that are, or the, you know, these songs that are on this record, that's the angle that I come at. So I don't know if that is what you were looking for, but. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about the the process of doing this because you said you hate songwriting in the traditional sense and so you go off and do this record solo but you also collaborated with a bunch of people how does and you're playing shows you know live with uh, some people how does that all fit together for you well I mean playing playing this music live is always a challenge because the people that I've involved in this project are doing a lot of other things in music. Um, so th- the main two guys that I play with, Jordan McGee and Jedediah Lockman, they play with this great band called the Ember Days, and Ember Days are constantly writing, recording, uh, and touring. Um, so uh, a couple other guys that played on the record, um, actually the first two songs that you hear on the record were played by this drummer named Taylor Carpenter who is from like a totally other realm of of music than the Ember Days. So uh, Taylor plays in a couple bands based out of Nashville. Basically, he's a punk slash metal drummer. Um, super, super techni- technically gifted. Um, but he interprets the music differently um, but in such a, a beautiful way. So um, basically, whenever I have a, a show that Mir plays, I, I try to change it up and keep it different, but at the same time, like, involve people who I know are going to, you know, do the music justice and interpret it in a way that is still somewhat in line with how, like, the recording was done, um, but at the same time add their whole new spin, but... So it's fun to do that, but at the same time it can take away from a little bit of the consistency... Um, in, in putting on a live show, you know. Um, and whenever Muir plays live, I really want people to have an, an experience with the music that's that's deeper than just going to see a great band play or this cool new band. Um, I want them to be inspired and to experience music in a way that they didn't think that they would. So that's, that's always my goal. Um, whenever we play live so cool that's terrifying for me honestly like personally I've been wanting to start playing shows you know here in Chicago and I played a couple by myself Um, but we talk about putting a band together and playing stuff pretty consistently and I'm just like terrified of like handing the stuff that I make over to like other people and uh, so props to you I guess for being able to do that and I think that 
your um, attitude is really cool to like be open to different interpretations of the stuff you know like it's always dangerous moving from your head to like what's coming out of your amp or like especially when you throw other people in there terrifying is the word that I use <laughs> pretty consistently but um, would you say that you're having you're enjoying it so far like the whole journey yeah I, I am enjoying it man and um, yeah it, it is terrifying dude uh, to have other people play the stuff but it's like you're balancing letting your baby go kind of like letting this thing that you created and letting people kind of morph it and make it their own um, because that's when it really shines when when you've got something that's special to you uh, you know a, a beautiful piece of music that you wrote but then you hand it over to someone else and then it becomes theirs and they kind of morph it and mold it and it, it becomes oftentimes better than how you had imagined it um, mm -hmm. honestly um, so you know it, it takes a lot of work to play these shows and a lot of practices to get it right um, and at the same time, like, there's room for uh, improvisation, but uh, in the right doses, I guess you'd say. So. What's making you do this stuff, man? Like, what drives you? Because you're working a pretty steady job, a lot of hours, and you still, even after going through all the things that you've been through, are like this is I'm gonna make music and I'm gonna make this work even if it's you know way different than the norm you know you're not you know like let me get five guys and write a pop punk record or something and we can go on tour and get signed and live the dream it seems like you're following a different model than that do you think that stems from just like a need to do that? Or? Well, for a while, man, I was really just working towards uh, just having enough to to take care of myself or really just, uh, I, I don't know, working hard and basically having enough money to live. You know, like that was my first goal and that's kind of what started. But after a while, once, once uh, really, once God had blessed me with a great position at my store and with my job I got really hungry for just playing music and pursuing the thing that I had set out to pursue um, and after a couple years of just working at the store not really doing too much with music um, I just I just sat down and thought to myself I didn't sit down I months of streaming through my head <laughs> was uh, just I am not doing what I had set out to do, you know, and that really started to bother me. And I had this this pull on my my heart, you know, and I needed to I needed to put this music together and start uh, preparing myself to record this music in such a way that it would be as best as it could possibly be. Um, and so towards the end of 2013, I was like, man, like, I need to do this thing. Because um, I had written these songs earlier in 2012, and they just kind of were there. Um, 
and I was still kind of playing around with them and, you know, trying different things on the computer with them. Um, but I really just had this hunger to play again and to share what I have to share with my guitar and with this music. You talked um, recently, you said you're on online, you said you're sending your record out to different blogs and stuff and, you know, advanced copies to people to be released. Are you, is that nerve wracking for you? Um, I don't, I don't have like super high expectations, man. Honestly. Uh, I mean, I think there's like a little bit of that, like inside me that's like, oh gosh, like they will totally love this music. It'll be the coolest thing they've ever heard. They'll be stoked. Consequence of sound is going to like blow this up. (laughs) Whatever. Um, but, uh, I, I think they get so many emails a day, man, like, it'll be seriously a miracle if they come across it and read it and go ahead and follow Link and play the record and get excited about it or, or think that it's even kind of cool. Um, I'll be super lucky, um, if that happens. So, it's, yeah, it, it is, like, a process of just kind of letting go, like, I'm gonna send this music out to these blogs and hopefully they'll get into it. I honestly don't have like huge expectations but um, anybody that wants to write or talk about it is better than you know me just trying to you know pump it out on Facebook or something like that because that just gets annoying and old after a while. Yeah for sure. I mean not I'm not saying that gets old but I have the same struggle with my stuff. Yeah. Oh, you can be honest, Dave. <laughs> the stupid record for so long and no one's heard it. And <laughs> Well, I was just glad that you finally sent me something. I was like, yes, I can hear it now after dropping all these hints. <laughs> yeah. You've mentioned your involvement with like church and stuff. Do you see that playing into like being in the music scene at all? Like, do you view it as a like a mission field or something like that or like what's your do those things coincide or like cross paths at all for you man it's so that's a great question um i mean i am i am a christian and i am a believer but living in nashville for a couple years you realize how fickle like the christian music industry is and i just don't want to be a part of it to be honest um I just want to make great art, and for the people that understand it and truly get it, whether they're Christian or not, um, I want those people to love my music, you know, um, in a really in a genuine way. Um, and I don't really write music with lyrics on it, so uh, it can't really be Christian music. I mean, <laughs> so I mean to to put that label on it, you know. Um, so I, I'm not, I'm kind of in a weird spot where I'm not really Christian, and I'm not making Christian enough music for the Christians and the people that um, could like blow me up in the Christian industry or whatever if I started some great lyrics, um, you know, about how awesome Jesus is, you know. Um, but I... At the same time, I'm a little too Christian for some of the post-rockers who are very much, like, politically charged at times and pretty anti-religious, you know? So I'm kind of caught in this, like, little middle ground 
and hopefully I'm not screwed. But <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you said it on the podcast, everyone will know. I'll be like that Drew guy likes Jesus, and we can't have that. Can't have that in post rock, man. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. <laughs> do you think that that's a thing? Do you think that Christian music is a thing? Like you said, you, I know the industry is a thing. You say you don't make Christian enough music. Do you think that that's a real thing? Um, I I don't know that man. That's such a that's such a hard question. But what I what I what that makes me think of is there's a lot of really cool Christian artists that that are making music, but they're not doing it the way that the the CCM world is telling them to. They're like. Uh, Future of Forestry is an example of that. Gunger, John Mark McMillan, like all artists that are, you know, they they're saying yes, we are believers, but we are choosing a different way to release our music, market it. Like we're not gonna we're not gonna let anybody take our music and chop it up and record it in such a way that is you know is not that goes against like our vision of what this art and what this music should be. Um, so I don't know like I said like I, I can't ever re- I can't really ever be considered a Christian artist because I'm bored with everything that they do because it's <laughs> songs you know you want to start naming names with that no <laughs> I, I'm only going to talk about bands that I like I'm not going to talk about ones that I hate that's fair but if you ever sit around a bonfire with me, I'll shred everyone. <laughs> so, all right, we'll have to make a bonfire date then sometime. I love, love shredding other artists. No, I, I don't. <laughs> no, there's nothing really to gain there, so there's, there's nothing good that can come from that. So, I feel like when I think of Nashville, it's like overcrowded with people who are just wanting to get into this old version of the industry or something that I view as old you know like um, outdated and they're all just like cutthroat trying to get in and be in a session or something to wait for their break and you are out doing your own thing you're like making your own record and stuff is that like fringe are you considered a fringe artist then uh, I mean I guess you would consider like near to be part of like what's happening kind of underground in Nashville um, I mean we've played a number of great shows here we've almost gotten to the point where like Mir can't really play too much more in Nashville before everyone just stops coming out to shows <laughs> but Nashville is really warm uh, people are friendly um, you can almost always just like strike up a conversation with with somebody if you're at like a coffee shop or you're out to eat um, people are usually always willing to to talk with you um, but at the same time like uh, having like there's a network of connections and sometimes if you're outside of that network of connections it's so hard to like penetrate and be a part of that um, so sometimes like <clears throat> you can feel like an outsider um, if you're not really in with the people who are making things happen. But I guess, like, my model is, like, 
I don't need to be a part of that because I can make things happen on my own and anybody else that wants to be a part of it, you know, and to see this thing come to life can, you know. Um, so they, I, don't, I don't know if that really makes any sense. But, but, yeah, my music is very much like a part of the underground scene. Um, and, and the other bands, whether they be like hardcore bands, uh, punk bands, or indie rock, um, there's a lot of like really great emo type bands around Nashville um, that are fantastic and they always have great shows and great turnouts so like Mirror usually gets kind of thrown onto those kind of kind of uh, bills so or like I mean there's there's a few booking agents in Nashville that I've just been like man why will they not like contact me for a show because like I know people are going to come out so then after just getting frustrated with them not like booking mirror, I just book a show myself and don't have to worry about that, you know, because there's plenty of venues to play at. So um, that's what I've had to do a few times. It's like, well, we'll just pump up the show. And like our, the first show that mirror played was in my own garage, and there was, you know, over 100 people here. And just because it was like a random bonfire like thing, and it was just super awesome. Um, and you couldn't find a parking spot on our street. So, I don't know. I'm pretty proud of stuff like that. Yeah, that sounds legit, man. I'm all about DIY in the music scene, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you can't, if you can't find anyone that's going to want to support your music and, and stuff, I mean, you just, you've got to get creative and figure out how you can make it work without going through the normal channels of, you know, how music usually should go down or how shows should usually be booked. I don't know if that makes sense, but absolutely. I think that too often artists and industry people are they're just tied to this old way of doing things. Where it's like, oh I have to get a booking agent to get me into this particular um venue so that I can open for this band so that I can, you know, maybe move on to a bigger thing or whatever and I need to get this many people so that I impact this many people and the reality is like now in my opinion if you have a small group of loyal people who are like buying into what you're doing you know maybe a hundred people or two hundred people that are like into everything that you're doing you have like a sustainable music career you know what i mean like those 200 people are going to propel you to whatever the next level is yeah so it's encouraging to hear like doing house shows and stuff that people are into that in the sort of capital of what i imagine as the old model of the music industry it's it's good to hear that things are still kind of progressing there yeah man i mean you've got to just trying things and if it doesn't work don't do it again but if it turns out to be really successful and awesome then now you know that it works you know and you wouldn't know unless you tried and I think there's so many different things happening in the music industry and things are shifting and changing on like a monthly daily basis um, that you've got to stay on on the you know the top end of it by just trying things differently um, 
So I, I think Tycho, if you're familiar with the artist, yeah, Tycho is a perfect example of that because, I mean, who's really doing what he's doing? Like with, he's from his music videos to his like designs, um, to his live show, like and how he markets his music. Like, yeah, did you read that um, article on Pando that came out like last week? Yep, that's the one that I read, man. It's that act, like any musician that's wondering, like, what to do (laughs) with their music or, you know, what's, where's the music industry headed? It's headed in that direction. Like, that's what I think. For sure. Yeah, I think when I read that, I was like, yeah, this is like confirmation of the things that I've been experimenting with in my own music. And, you know, I have a lot of friends that are doing the same thing. And it was just like, got to keep at it because he's like been doing that for so long and he's just like coming to what like mainstream would call like success success or like sustainability but he's just been doing it and he's like this is just something that I like doing and I'm just going to keep doing it and experimenting and doing all of these things that I'm passionate about and that's it you know there wasn't like a I have to be famous by this point in time is just like do what you do make it work and that's all you got to do yeah man i was just really inspired by that article it's just jam-packed with with good ideas so absolutely where do you think uh muir is headed are are you done with the project now and moving on to something else are you going to keep going forward um no i mean this this is a the first release for, you know, for Mir, um, and I think I'm already thinking about what the next record is going to be, um, possibly like an EP, because um, doing a full length record was so, just so much work. <laughs> um, but I think people will appreciate the fact that there's more music there to get into. Um, there's a lot of diversity on this first record from track to track. Um, there's different drummers, uh, there's a bunch of guests, soloists, different bass players. Um, so there's a lot of content there for people to, to really dig into. Um, and I think for the next record, I'd like to streamline things and just pick a few different people to play with and possibly do stuff that's a little bit less up-tempo, um, that's less fast, um, and just kind of spread some things out and do some more drawn-out kind of stuff with it. A little bit more cinematic and sludgy kind of stuff. I don't know. That's that's like, when I think about what I want to do next, those are a few things that I want to do. Cinematic sludge. I'm into it. So. (laughs) Cool. So the record comes out. Do you have a release date? Yeah, so the, the record comes out October 24th, 2014. Great. Bandcamp is a great way to get it. Um, actually, if you just go to mirnashville.com, pretty soon that domain name is going to work, hopefully by the time you get this podcast up. Um, so, yeah. So mirnashville.com is where you can go. Um, but, yeah, Spotify is where you can stream it. It'll be on SoundCloud. Anyway, there's going to be some download codes and stuff that I'm going to put out to some special people. And... There will be a certain number of those that 
there's you know you can download the record for free, but and that'll be that'll go through the Bandcamp. So if you like us on Facebook, you will be able to get one of those download codes. So right on, and it's uh, m u i r Nashville dot com. Yep. Sweet. Drew, thanks for coming on the show and uh, trying this out to be the the guinea pig. Awesome, man. Yeah, everybody should listen to anything that Dave Mantell has to say. (laughs) And anything that Dave Mantell has to play in his music. It's all great. All right. Well, thank you, Drew, for being on the show once again. Um, And for you for listening... Thank you so much. If you made it to the end of this podcast, you have my eternal gratitude. And actually, just for getting this far, if you're interested in downloading the uh, the new Muir album, you can pre-order it. And if you're uh, pre-ordering before October 24th, the release date, you can go on to MuirNashville.com, type in the code Mariposa Grove, which is M-A-R-I-P-O-S-A-G-R-O-V-E, all small letters, you can get a 50% off for the record. So you can get it for, I think it's like three, three bucks or three fifty. So make sure you do that. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace.